Welcome to Exploring Bible Prophecy with our teacher, Steve Butler. We are in a series right now exploring the important prophecy terms found in God's Word. You can follow along with our free study guide that you can download from our website. Simply visit whcbradio.org. That's whcbradio.org. Click on the program name, Exploring Bible Prophecy, and there you will find our free study guide. So open your Bibles, download your study guides, and prepare to explore Bible prophecy. Hello, and welcome once again to Exploring Bible Prophecy. In today's program, we're going to continue our look at the gospel of the kingdom and compare and contrast it with the gospel of grace. Uh, Yes, they are both gospels, and that means good news. They are both taught by Jesus But in context, in a careful study of God's Word, you find that Jesus is coming to offer this good news to different people in different times for different reasons because of certain circumstances. And hopefully as we go through this, you'll be able to clearly see this so that when you see a reference to the gospel of the kingdom, you can say, hey, that means this. It happens in this time frame. Jesus is talking to this group about this set of circumstances. And then when you see gospel of grace, you know quite differently. And, of course, we'll get into those many scriptures um, when we go forward here in, in point number three. We're looking at seven sets of prophetic terms that I believe are important to know. This is not an exhaustive set of seven, but I think these are seven of the most important ones that we need to understand that when we see them, we we can instinctively know from our study of the Scripture uh, what the context is of why that term is being used, where it's being used. And if you can do that, it makes the Scriptures understandable so much more clearly uh, than perhaps before for you because it's so easy to read over these terms and think that they're talking about the same person or the same circumstances Uh, And it just dilutes the meaning. And the meaning differences between these sets of terms is so rich. It all glorifies God. It's all part of God's plan. Let's don't lose that uh, important understanding here. But it is clear to understand these differences. And if you do, it will also give you a greater, deeper um, degree of discernment, which unfortunately is lacking in the church today, discerning being able to tell to um, to judge, as they say, to judge the spirits. Because as Paul told the elders at Ephesus in Acts, uh, just before he left them for the last time, he took them down to Miletus to get them out of Ephesus so that people wouldn't start worshiping Paul because that's the kind of impact he had on them. And he took the elders down to um, elders in the church and took them to Miletus, and he told them that when I leave you, and this is the last time you're going to see me because he's going to be taken prison to Rome and then he's going to be executed. He said, when I leave, in other words, when the, when the apostles who worked and traveled with Christ, when we leave, wolves, vicious wolves are going to come in among you and from you. And that's probably one of the most critical descriptions right there. He says they're not only going to come in among you, they're going to come from some of you. In other words, some of the leaders of the church are going to start spewing vicious, 
blasphemies and heresies and distorting distorting the word that Jesus gave that the apostles the um, apostles gave and that just as importantly that the prophets gave in the old testament and that's what we're finding in the church today we've found that it's been going on for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years since um oh probably 100 years after Christ approximately um the Gentiles started, principally the Gentiles started to distort the word of God, principally to drive Israel and its role in the blessings of God out of the picture, out of the Bible, uh, by allegorization and spiritualization of the scriptures. In other words, saying, I know it may say this, but it doesn't really mean what you think it is. You have to look at it more deeply. And of course, the only way to understand it more deeply is to believe what this man tells you it means, which is the opposite of taking the Bible literally. So we desperately try to keep the literal word in front of us and in our study of the Bible so that we don't get deceived into believing uh, heresies, believing uh, Gnostic, I know something you don't know type attitudes of people who are out there today. So again, that's why we stick stick to the scriptures as best we can and always ask the Holy Spirit to lead us into an understanding so that what we study and what we draw from that study glorifies God and no one else, certainly not mankind. So we have been in the uh, the looking at the gospel of the kingdom, and this is the gospel that Jesus brought to the Israelites at his first coming 2,000 years ago to Israel, and it was brought specifically to the Jews. God's plan all through the Old Testament was to raise up this group of people from Abraham's seed through Isaac and Jacob to take the good news of who God is and what it's like to live as a people with God as their God, as as Jehovah God as their God, and that the Israelites would take that good news to the world. So Jesus came preaching that, that if Israel would accept him, then Israel would be blessed, and they would then take this gospel to the world, to the Jew first, then to the Gentile. That's what that means. So we're we're seeing here that Jesus has established is establishing it through the prophetic word of the Old Testament that he is indeed the prophet promised he is the Messiah promised he is the king that was promised he's the conqueror that was promised and he's here now so having established who was promised Jesus we've been going through setting up the uh, the kingdom And we know that from the prophetic scriptures, before the kingdom can be set up, there needs to be a judgment, a cleansing of the unrighteous, and a recognition and a blessing of the righteous. And that is the period called the tribulation. So there was going to be, in God's plan, a tribulation 2,000 years ago prior to the setting up of the kingdom, because Jesus was there as the king to set up his kingdom. And that tribulation is prophesied all through the Old Testament, and what was applied, uh, prophesied to be applied then, 2,000 years ago, is simply put on hold and will be applied again in a yet future period called the tribulation. So what would have happened 2,000 years ago, the tribulation, the judgment, and the setting up of the millennial kingdom, will happen for sure 
sometime in the future, and I believe from a study of the scriptures that that time is is very soon, and I believe you couldn't have said that two or three hundred years ago because the scriptures say it wouldn't have happened then, even though they may have been saying that, and there were false prophets out there saying the end is near, but uh, you can you can see that we are very close to the end of the two thousand year period that the Bible says the Jews will be. Uh, have God will turn his back on his people, Israel, for a period of 2,000 years. And we're coming close to the end of that. We don't know when that is, the day or the hour, that's for sure. But I believe that's the next event on the prophetic calendar. And that's what we'll be talking about in our next series, the next 30 prophetic events. So looking at the tribulation, back to our worksheet, point number three, that we went through Jeremiah 30, verse 7, to start our talk about the tribulation. We went through Deuteronomy chapter 4, 21 to 31, again, to build on that and to show that even prophetically, 1,400 years before Christ even walked the earth, it was already prophesied that at some point in the distant future, and that's future to us today still, there would be a time when Israel would seek the Lord once again and 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 profess their faith in him and that he would accept them uh, permanently, that they would never see uh, reproach again. Then we went into uh, the book of Joel to build on that because Joel is very prolific in his writing about the description of the um, the day of the Lord, the, the, uh, the day of the tribulation and the judgment. And we went through um, several uh, passages there in Joel, finishing up in Joel 18 and 19, And then we wanted to go to the New Testament, and that's where we go right now, and that's to Matthew chapter 24, Matthew chapter 24, and in Matthew 24, this is the uh, beginning of what's called the Olivet Discourse, Olivet referring to olive, uh, the Mount of Olives, because it says that Jesus and a handful of his disciples, his apostles, I should say, um, it's disciples, but it's specifically the uh, an inner group of the 12 apostles went up on the Mount of Olives and were looking across the Kidron Valley at the temple, the magnificent temple that Herod the Great had built on the small foundations of what Zerubbabel and others built when they came out of Babylonian captivity 500 years before. And they're saying how magnificent this is, and Jesus is saying, but not a stone here will be left upon another, and that's verse 2 of Matthew 24. And they say, and they they turn to Jesus right there on the mount, and they say, tell us, when will these things happen, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? So you have three questions there. Jesus does not answer the first question in Matthew 24. That's answered in Luke, and we'll go there some other time. But that's answered in Luke. But he does answer the, the second and third questions, What is the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And he spends all of Matthew 24 and all of Matthew 25 answering those two questions about your coming and the end of the age. In other words, he goes into great detail in Matthew 24 here about the tribulation period, the first half, the midpoint, the second half. Then he goes into um, eight parables through the rest of Matthew 24 and all of Matthew 25, eight parables, and in each of those eight parables, it's the same admonition, be prepared, be ready when I come, because I'm going to be coming like a thief at my second coming. 
There's no reference anywhere in Matthew 24 or Matthew 25 to the rapture. The rapture has not been talked about at all anywhere here yet. It will be talked about in the upper room discourse, which is another discussion that Jesus has during the same week that he's crucified. And we are going to do a um, overview, but a little bit of an in-depth overview, if you will, of the difference between the Olivet Discourse right here in Matthew 24 and 25 and the Upper Room Discourse because they're quite different. It's the same Jesus, it's the same apostles, but his focus is quite different. Here in Matthew 24 and 25, it's the Tribulation and the Second Coming, and in the uh, upper room discourse, Jesus is talking to the apostles about what it's going to be like during the church age and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and growing in their knowledge and so forth. So we'll get into that. Quite, quite different um, perspectives that Jesus gives the apostles between the two. And back to Matthew 24 and 25, we know that this is all one discussion because the very first verse of Matthew 26 says, when Jesus had finished all these words. So, you know, it, it'd been nice if there was no ch- chapter break between 24 and 25 because it just flows right through there. But everything in here is Jesus talking to them about the tribulation period and the second coming. And specifically, as you see on your worksheet, Matthew 24, we want to go down to verses 21 and 22 where we're going to read something we that sounds very familiar, and the reason it's familiar is we just finished reading it in the book of Joel, in the book of Joel, and you'll see what I mean when we see Matthew 24, verses 21 and 22. For then, and when is then? It's talking about all these things above it. It says, for then there will be a great tribulation, such as has not occurred since the beginning of the world until now, nor ever will. Now, that is almost a direct quote out of Joel. Now, remember, Joel was written over 700 years before Matthew wrote, but they're saying the same thing. They're both looking future. They're both looking future here because Jesus has been um, denied his um, rightful position as the king of Israel because the people will not accept him, so Everything that was promised 2,000 years ago has now been moved forward, not not done away with. It's simply been postponed until a time yet future. And it's described here as that great tribulation that's never happened before then and will never happen again, just like Joel said. And in verse 22, unless those days, what days? The days of the great tribulation. Unless those days had been cut short, no life, would have been saved. In other words, the whole earth would have been annihilated. That tells you something about Satan. It tells you something about Satan in that he wants to continue to possess the earth. He wants to continue to rule over the earth. The Bible clearly says that this is his earth. The reason we know it is because it tells us that when Adam and Eve were created, they were given dominion over the earth. And that would have been passed down through those generations if there had not been a fall into sin. But at that point, when they fell into sin, Satan took over control of the earth. And when you go to Luke, where Jesus is tempted by Satan in the wilderness, 
at the very beginning of his ministry, one of the things that Satan tempts Christ with is he offers Christ the world if Christ will simply bow his knee to Satan. And of course, how can you offer something to Christ that you don't possess? So Satan is the prince and the power of the air. This is his earth. This is his kingdom. I mean, just as a cross-reference, you can go to John chapter 18, where Pilate is, is questioning Jesus just before his crucifixion. And Jesus very clearly tells Pilate, my kingdom is not of this earth. My kingdom is based, he doesn't say it there, but his kingdom is a spiritual kingdom where we are, Christians are being created or being uh, created by God through faith in Jesus Christ. But that's not a physical kingdom. That's a spiritual kingdom. The kingdom that Satan has is physical. This kingdom that Christ will set up when he puts Satan in the pit at his second coming, that millennial kingdom will be a physical kingdom. But it says in verse 22, Unless those days had been cut short, no life would have been saved. Satan will wipe out everybody in order to keep the earth if he can. Because remember, if there are Israelites left here when Jesus uh, comes back, it's because those Israelites have accepted him as Christ. That is his criteria for coming back to the earth at his second coming is because the Israelites have have accepted him as their Messiah. But if there's no Israelites, if there's no life on earth, then Jesus won't come back. Satan wins. So he's prepared to do that, but look who intervenes. For the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. God cuts the tribulation short so that Satan cannot wipe the earth out because it says for the sake of the elect. Now right there, the word elect, you'll find people who don't do their Bible study thoroughly will immediately say, well, I've heard the church called the elect, so therefore that's the church. Well, no, God refers to those who are chosen, those who are counted as righteous, those who are called out as elect. And lo and behold, all through the Old Testament, guess who the Israelites are referred to as? The righteous remnant of the Israelites are called God's elect. And in context, he's talking to Israelites about Israel to answer their questions. So this elect is very clearly Israel, righteous Israel, and it's because of righteous Israel, the Israelites within the nation of Israel that are going to believe in the Messiah, it's because of them that those days are cut short. So we can see once again in this gospel of the kingdom that the focus is Israel. It's basically all about Israel and even at the end of the tribulation, it's about righteous Israel, which is really what it comes down to, because God, is Jesus, is going to come back to judge the earth, to winnow out, as it says in the Gospels, to winnow out the unrighteous and remove them so that only the righteous are in the kingdom, both Jew and Gentile. That's part of the gospel of the kingdom. We'll continue that study as we go further into Matthew 24 in our next teaching portion. But as always, we want to move on to our Q&A because it's important to um, get a sense, a, a continuing, and as we do on a, on a daily sense in our programs, a sense of what the people in the listening audience are thinking about uh, as they study their Bible, as they follow along in the program, as they 
listen in church or their Sunday schools or their Bible studies and they have questions, we would love here at Exploring Bible Prophecy to um, see if we can, if you can uh, send us a question. We'd be, we'd love to entertain that and explore the scriptures to try and answer it for you and for all of us because we're always edified when when uh, questions are raised up. So remember, there's never a bad, there's never a stupid question when it comes to the Bible. But the question that we've been dealing with, and we're getting ready to wrap up here fairly quickly, is does the fact that Israel is the wife of God have any impact on end-time prophecy? And it has everything to do with end-time prophecy because the church is not going to be involved in most of what's going to happen. Uh, When we talk about the 30 prophetic events that we're looking forward to uh, from now until eternity, uh, described at the end of the last couple of chapters of Revelation, you'll find that almost all of it involves Israel and the people on the earth. It doesn't involve the church, although we are part of it, and uh, we, we would get into that. But our focus here is Israel, and we went through the Scriptures in the Old Testament, Ezekiel, uh, not Ezekiel, I'm sorry, Exodus 19, to show the wedding of God to Israel. So you see, and we went through other scriptures to show that God refers to himself as the husband. Then we went into the uh, Acts chapter 15, verses 13 to 18, to show that the church is going to be taken out of the way and that once God has taken those people to himself, then it says, I will return and rebuild the tents of David. Well, the tents of David have been down In other words, the identity of Israel as a nation under a king has not happened since the Babylonian captivity and the last of David's line as kings were removed by the Babylonians. We haven't had a king since. So he's going to set up his kingdom again at the second coming following the tribulation. And then to show further in the Old Testament the importance of Israel in prophecy, we went through a number of scriptures, Deuteronomy 7, Deuteronomy 4, Daniel 9. Then we um, transitioned just a little bit to Matthew 25, which is part of the Olivet Discourse uh, about the tribulation period and the second coming to show that even the Gentiles that are living at the end of the tribulation, when they're gathered together, according to Matthew 25, starting at verse 31, when they're gathered together by Jesus, sitting on his glorious millennial reigning throne in Jerusalem, he pulls those Gentiles together. He's going to judge them on behalf of Israel, on behalf of Israel. And to prove that, we went to Joel chapter 3, and we looked at verses 1 and 2, and that's where we finished in our last program, was to show that Joel prophesied even 700 years before Matthew even wrote that when Jesus pulls these nations together at the end of time, at the end of the tribulation, all the surviving Gentiles who made it through that horrible seven-year period, when they're gathered together, they're going to be judged on how they treated Israel. And that's what Matthew 25 says when, when Jesus tells them, in uh, Matthew twenty-five forty, he says, The king, Jesus, will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these my brothers, one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. Well, he's referring to Israel. Now, there are people that will say, Well, wait a minute, brothers of Jesus. Well, we're brothers of Jesus as the church. Well, here's a clear example of how you have to look at context 
Where are you in the scripture? Who is speaking to whom about what subject in what time frame? And when you do that, you clearly see that the church is not anywhere in here, that he's talking to the Gentiles that have been brought, both righteous and unrighteous Gentiles. They're being judged right here for who's righteous and who's unrighteous. And they're being judged based on how these Gentiles treated the Jews during the tribulation. And you'll you'll find people will, how do you know that? Well, we went to Joel to prove it, didn't we? We went to Joel chapter 3, which is basically a, a, the wording is a little different, but it's the same context. He gathers the nations at the end of time, and he judges the Gentiles, these nations, for how they treated Israel. So very clearly you can see that God has his focus squarely on Israel. Even though he's judging the nations, judging the Gentiles when he comes back, he's judging them on behalf of Israel. So now we've gotten through the judgment relative to Israel, the, tri- the tribulation period and the judgment, and now let's see what God's plans are for Israel in the millennial kingdom. And that's really when it talks about in the question, um, does the fact that Israel is the wife of God have any impact on end-time prophecy? Well, let's see. Let's see what God's plans are for Israel during the millennial kingdom, because this is absolutely amazing. We want to go, first of all, to Isaiah. So go basically to the middle of your Bible approximately, and if you find Psalms and Proverbs, keep going to the right, and you'll find the big 66-chapter book of Isaiah. You want to go to Isaiah chapter 2, Isaiah chapter 2, right right there at the beginning. And he makes his point very clear here what the plans are. And in Isaiah chapter 2, it says in just the first um, um, few verses, chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, now it will come about, Isaiah chapter 2, verse 2, it will come about that in the last days, the mountain of the house of the Lord. So this is talking about the Temple Mount, Mount Moriah in Jerusalem, will be established as the chief of the mountains and will be raised above the hills and all the nations. There you go. All the nations. Remember? All the nations will stream to it. So all the Gentiles will come to Jerusalem and many peoples will come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. Now, remember Jacob. We've talked about that a number of times. When you see the name Jacob, not Judah, but Jacob, it means all 12 tribes. And during the millennial kingdom, actually at the end of the tribulation, but surely into the millennial kingdom, all 12 tribes of Israel will be represented in Israel in their earthly bodies as we have today, in the land of Israel. So it says, many peoples will come and say, come us, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of Jacob, that he, Jesus, may teach us, these are the Gentiles talking, that he may teach us concerning his ways, and that we may walk in his paths. For the law will go forth from Zion, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. So the law will go forth from Israel or Zion. The word of the Lord will come from Jerusalem because that's where he is sitting on his throne. And look at the first couple of lines of verse 4. 
He will judge between the nations and will render decisions for many peoples. And then it goes on to talk about the millennial kingdom. But what a wonderful time it's going to be. And we're going to look next at Ezekiel chapter 36. And I want you to, we're going to pay particular attention to that in our next uh, Q&A portion. But remember, if we don't talk again, I'll be seeing you in the air. Thank you for joining us on this edition of Exploring Bible Prophecy. Exploring Bible Prophecy is a production of WHCB. Learn more at whcbradio.org.